0: I think, you know, sometimes the most impactful programs are things you can't measure. So you really have to kind of step back and say, what do you really want to do here? You know, is it more trying to get the right accounts, the right ICPs to that hub and start educating them to become better buyers? I, and don't worry about all that measurement, right? I think that's where we're headed. The B2B Marketing Exchange was created with one
1: goal in mind, to help B2B practitioners across marketing and sales be better at their jobs. Now we're bringing the insights from the stage to your ears. These are the tips and tools you need to succeed. This is the B2B Marketing Exchange Podcast. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the B2BMX Podcast. I'm Claudia.
2: And I'm Alicia.
1: And we're, you know, just getting back into the office after a nice Thanksgiving break. Alicia, how was your holiday? You know what, Claude? It was really nice.
2: We downsized a lot, obviously. We had just our small um, pod in our family, so a little different than usual, but still the same amount of food. But I'm back. I'm refreshed and recharged and ready to close out the year strong. How about
1: you? Yeah, mine was just this lovely. You know, we normally go out to a restaurant, but decided to obviously lay low this year and stay in with our close little circle, but I'm still full from the weekend. But yeah, you know, changing it up is nice. Change is really good, actually, sometimes.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that's kind of been an underlying theme for this entire year, which kind of feels like five years at the end of the day. But I I think if anything, we've learned that, you know, sometimes change is scary, but You know, We find ways to adapt and evolve, and sometimes we learn something new about ourselves, about our customers, even our business. So that that kind of leads us, I guess, as seamlessly as we could to today's episode, which is actually a replay of one of our sessions, one of our top-rated sessions, actually, from the B2B Sales and Marketing Exchange online experience, which happened at the end of October. It already feels so long ago. Before we dig into the episode and get started, we do want to say a quick thanks to our sponsor today, PFL. PFL was a significant partner for us for the event, and they really helped us get our audience excited for the online event, which personally I I thought was extremely challenging and daunting. Claudia, what do you think? I mean, I I felt like we had a lot of conversations about it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It was definitely a unique experience to try to get everyone engaged and excited for the event and at DGR we wanted to make the B2B SMX online experience just irresistible. So one way we did that was with PFL's tactile marketing automation software which we used to send over like 1200 personalized packages to our attendees featuring some really fun swag. We actually saw an outstanding 70% attendance rate. So our audience raved about the kids. They shared pictures online and, and on social media and, and were really engaging with us. And honestly, it's really what any marketer could hope for.
2: Yeah, I know I personally loved um, tweeting at people who are sharing photos of the cold brew gummy bears, which I reminded everyone to not eat on an empty stomach because I was hyped all day from them. And I know one of my colleagues on LinkedIn shared her son using our coloring book, which, you know, as a mom of a two and a half year old, I know we all treasure those moments of entertainment for our, our children. So. It was frankly exciting and really thrilling to see our audience not only rave about it but get actual use from these kits. So
1: it was definitely something that I appreciated. Yeah, that's great Alicia. So needless to say our swag boxes were a huge hit for our attendees and for their children. So you know, for better account-based marketing guys just check out pfl.com and and learn more and see how you could really up the ante on your account-based marketing. So with that Let's get right into today's episode. It's featuring Annika Helmrich and Kathy Mammon of E2Open, who really shared their experiences and their failures pivoting their ABM strategy in this weird year.
2: Yeah, and I think they get into a lot of the different tactics, even direct mail, which I think is very appropriate, but they also talk about emails, um, how they adjusted even tone and style to better engage their audiences, curated content experiences, really the whole gamut. So if you're looking for ways to improve your ABM strategy or want to get started and need a good foundation of lessons and best practices, this session is for you. So with that, let's dig in.
3: Hello everyone, thank you for joining us and welcome to today's discussion. Annika and I are so happy you could join us. We are part of the E2Open marketing team and we've been navigating account-based marketing with our teams for well over the past year. And we've had our successes and we've certainly had our challenges as I'm sure all of you have as well. Who knows, uh, maybe you'll even have some advice that you can share with us at the end of this. And we hope you do as we'd love to learn from you as well. So as a precursor discussion, it probably makes sense to get to know Annika and I a little bit better. Uh, so Annika, I'll let you introduce
0: yourself. Great. Thank you so much, Kathy. And, and thanks so much for having us. Um, my name is Anika Helmerich. I'm the Director of Field Marketing at E2Open. Um, I lead a team of uh, five field marketers uh, covering uh, four business units here at E2Open. Uh, thank you, Anika. You know,
3: I love partnering with you on the E2Open marketing team, and I'm excited to be partnering with you today. Um, and my name is Kathy Mammon. I'm also a director of marketing at E2Open, and I lead two teams uh, the marketing communications team and the marketing operations team. Um, I've been a huge fan of B2B sales and marketing exchange for many, many years, Um, and I've been honored three times with a Killer Content Award, and I was most recently named a winner of the 2019 Top 5 B2B Innovator Awards. So speaking of innovating, you can't innovate without first understanding where you are, where you're going, and how to get there, which is exactly what we're going to cover today. Some of these key areas are probably some of the very same areas many of you are executing or you're struggling with today on a day-to-day basis. We've got a lot to share with you in the next 25 minutes, so let's go. So like many of you, at the beginning of our year, the E2 Open Marketing team laid out our plans for a successful marketing strategy. And our marketing plan was built around a strong marketing mix of ABM plays defined by one-to-one, one-to-few, and one-to-many campaigns that was made up of physical events, webinars, direct mail campaigns, advertising, and email outreach. And also, like everyone experienced just a few short months into the year, our whole world and our whole marketing strategy was turned upside down. Physical events were out, direct mail campaigns were put on pause, and everything virtual was in and on at full speed. Except we had to figure out, just like everyone else, how to compete in a world where everyone was also jumping in headfirst to all things virtual. So with that stage set, let's jump right in with Annika, and she's gonna talk to us about our first lesson and success we had in moving from physical
0: events to virtual. Great, thanks, Kathy. So you know, with in-person events suspended, we needed to figure out how do we still stay in front of our clients virtually and digitally and start to think out of the box, how do we innovate? So the traditional two-month base cam checklist that we were following was so overwhelming. We had too many steps, too many one-off tasks. It just was not scalable. So we quickly had to figure out how do we scale with a rinse and repeat model and cut down our two months to two weeks. We did this by cutting down on the number of promotional sends and the number of different channels. Did we always have to send four emails per webinar? No, we really didn't. We could actually go and promote on our LinkedIn uh, company page. We could leverage other uh, channels that where people were, it didn't always have to be on email. Uh, we also created many templates, made things much smoother. So we created templates for webinar decks, for our moderator scripts, for our registration and thank you emails in Marketo, and allowed everyone to quickly get up to speed fast and roll things out. In addition, we created rehearsal guides for our organizers and our panelists, and we identified clear lines of ownership. We had many teams supporting our webinars, MarCom, Mops, our events team, of course, our field marketing team, and everyone was working together. And in order to do that, you have to uh, have very clear lines of, of ownership on all of the various tasks. So the next thing what we did all, as well is to create a series that could be spread together. We had two uh, series. One was called the E2 Talk, and the other was called uh, Channel Check In. Both specifically directed to different audiences, different personas, allowed us to create a weekly cadence. We ended up having four webinars a month, and these webinars were really quick, short, thirty minutes uh, each, and it created the stickiness. So. People knew what to expect. They came back. Uh, they wanted to hear from us, and it wasn't a sales pitch. It was an industry thought leadership. We were creating authority in the uh, in our supply chain industry, uh, and it really allowed us to get out there quick and be uh, well known um, as thought leaders. Uh, next, I would say you have to target key personas. So, in our case, uh, we cut down. We didn't send it to everyone in our database. We only focused on a couple uh, key personas and allowed us to actually ensure that the emails were delivered despite an overcrowded email calendar. we had so many emails, uh, we needed to make sure that ours were getting getting through as well as complying with our Marketo communication limits. So that was really important as well. Next, you gotta focus on content. Um, build a network of SMEs with your industry thought leaders that are internal and external. Uh get those people together quickly and know who's excited to to really uh, be part of the conversation and start picking topics that resonate now. you know we did a lot of managing through disruption and having a resilient supply chain uh, and you know uh, being able to uh be resilient in a, in a crisis, especially with just the um you know the uncertainty that was going on. Uh, in addition to that you know talk to your field what are the topics that they're hearing from their clients that they want to talk about what are those maybe those common client objections that they're getting in sales cycles that is creating them uh, to slow down the sales cycles well, why don't we use those topics as part of our webinar series and really get out in front to help possibly accelerate those conversations and those sales cycles all of this, All of this turned into some really nice metrics. We immediately saw that attendee rates started to spike immediately after the webinar series. Uh, And then, of course, we had a little bit of a plateau in the summer with some webinar fatigue, which is really nice to see that immediate spike. In addition, we saw Influence Pipeline within about two months of the series launch. So we thought it, it was a pretty good success.
3: So as Annika explained, we successfully pivoted our event strategy, really to go along with the strategy, we had to learn how to increase our email conversion metrics. So on your screen, I'm sharing with you some stats that Joseph on my team put together to show how the E2Open marketing team was faring against industry benchmarks. So as you can see, it wasn't pretty. So we knew that if we were going to peak in this uh, in this time of email overload, we were going to have to change the way that we operate in. Um, so first, we focused on increasing our open rate. I mean, we all know the more people who open your emails, the likelihood that they engage in your content, right? Um, so here are four key lessons we learned when we focused on our email open rates. Um, lesson number one, the subject line. Get creative, interesting and relevant and make sure you're A-B testing subject lines. One of the most interesting things that we found through A-B testing is that a subject line winner actually won't be a winner for all audiences. Um, So we typically see that subject lines will perform better for North America versus EMEA, even though we're actually targeting the same persona. So use tokens or dynamic data to help personalize the experience and the last thing is we all know that using numbers in kind of like a listicle kind of way it usually will produce higher results. So don't be afraid to use that in your back pocket. Number two, how many of you, of you use pre-header text in your emails? I think that this is the most underutilized feature to increase email performance pre text, um, in case you're not aware, it's what mobile um, desktop or web email clients will show readers to give them an idea of what message is inside before um, they actually open the email. And we love using formal subject lines and then maybe a more personalized or engaging pre-hitter text. Uh, lesson number three, uh, you know, we played around with who our email came from. Um, So our team tested out E2Open versus E2Open marketing versus another team at E2Open or specific people. And then number four, narrow your focus. Um, I know we all hear this all the time, um, but how many of us are actually putting this into play? Not everyone needs to see every message you send or maybe they do, um, but they would benefit from seeing your message differently than others. So make sure you're sending different messages to different people. Also, Anika already mentioned this, but I'm going to bring this back again. Utilize your email communication limits. Ours is set to one email per day in three emails in a rolling seven-day period. You need to know and determine what's best for your team. So after focusing on the open rate, we next focused on our click rate. For our first lesson learned, we focused on the actual length of the email. I have definitely found that time and time again, less is more. Tighten up your text, eliminate every word that doesn't add value. Lesson number two, write engaging email text. I know this is so simple to say. It is so hard to do. And we have found that adding positivity into the way that we write increases our conversion rates by 22%. Yes, I'll say that again, you will get a 22% lift just by being positive in the way that you write and craft your emails. Lesson number three, CTAs. Always, always, always make sure your CTAs are above the fold. Um, And our team also, we always give people three CTAs to click on. Um, So all of our emails always have a text CTA, an image CTA and a button CTA. Uh, test out different button colors. We found personally that people who we send to are more likely to click on an orange button than a blue. Uh, try different button types or images with a button overlay instead of a freestanding button. And last, number four, if you use email headers, make sure your text is descriptive, thoughtful, and definitely use images that reflect the email content in your brand. Um, So on your slide right now, this is an example of an email we sent out to our database, um, and then we rewrote it and redesigned it and sent it out again, and that's what's on the right. So the differences in these two emails was huge. In our first email, we sent it out to over 76,000 people. We had a 5.5% open rate and a 7% click to open rate. Um, And the subject line was pretty standard, webinar, state of the nation for forecasting. For the second email, we changed up the subject line and the headline to be much more personalized to the reader. The subject line for this one is, you've downloaded the report, now it's time to register for the webinar. And even though we only targeted 171 people, which is 99% less than the first email, we were able to increase our open rate from five to 38% and our click to open rate from seven to 27%. The list was small, but in this case, mighty, and it seriously outperformed our heavy hitter email in every way. I have one last slide on this topic, and I wanted to make sure I brought this up before we go over to lesson three. Um, But I'm not sure how many of you use Marketo as your marketing automation tool. I've been a user of Marketo for 10 years, and my team showed me this amazing report. It's been a game changer for us. So if you use Marketo RCE for any reporting, there is a heat map available to you, which you can set up to show you the best times for your email opens and clicks. So for us, this quickly helped us to understand how to schedule our emails and plan them out for the, uh, for the most success. So it's funny because our team had always shied away from sending emails on Fridays. However, it was really, really interesting for us to see that our highest click to open rates occurred on Thursdays and Fridays. So do you know when your best performing days and times
0: are? That's so interesting, Kathy. I'm sure everyone's going to start looking to see if they can figure out what their best day is. I, I should certainly love to see that and look forward to continuing to, to monitor that. So our next lesson um, is all about account-based marketing and how do you personalize, especially at scale. We were struggling and we still are struggling. Um, this is... You know, especially with everything being digital, can't be in person. We really needed to get moving on building our foundation for account-based marketing, and the first is the first challenge is always about picking those key accounts, especially figuring out okay which ones were for one-to-one and which ones are for one-to-many. So we worked with the field. We just use institutional knowledge working with them. We didn't really have intent data uh, in place just yet to figure that out. Uh, what we ended up deciding was was that. We wanted to focus on clients that had um, a lot of white space where we could uh, expand our footprint, and that was really it. And so, but then it dep- dep- depended on who would get a one-to-one uh, marketing uh, campaign and who would be part of our one-to-many. Next is all about identifying uh, key personas. How do we reach our ICPS within those key target accounts, and not waste our time, you know, reaching out to people who won't buy from us? I mean, that's one of the key components of account-based marketing. I, and we worked a lot with the BDRs to acquire a net new contacts from all these various sources. And we talked to the field, what are those key personas we should be speaking with at our client accounts? And so that we felt we were, do, we were doing a good job. I, again, I think we're missing some of the, the intent and, and understanding really who is ready to buy I think that's also where we're struggling. Next is all about determining what channels to use and when. You know, As you're going down the funnel, you might want to hit someone up with a Marketo email, maybe a sales app cadence, a one-to-one LinkedIn ad. And then as you go further down and you engage with them and nurture them further, you might want to send them a direct mail piece or get them over to a very personalized content hub. So there's a lot of various things we are testing and try, trying out and to see what, work, what works and what doesn't. And that's where we're struggling. Next slide. So the other uh, platform or channel that we feel uh, is there's a lot of potential, but we're struggling with is content hubs. Content hubs are great, especially for ungating But here we are struggling with, okay, there's a trade-off, right? It's you can count, you want to get a high number, high volume of the right people to your hub, engaging with their content, but you also want to be able to measure their content engagement. But that's not possible, right? Because there's that form friction. What do you do? If you have one form, many forms, you ungate everything. I think, you know, sometimes the most impactful programs are things you can't measure. So you really have to kind of step back and say, what do you really want to do here? You know, is it more trying to get the right accounts, the right ICPs to that hub and start educating them to become better buyers I, and don't worry about all that measurement, right? I think that's where we're headed. Next is scaling personalization. It, personalizing is all about what ABM is all about, right? So, but how do you do it at scale? And how do you have that same personalization for each account Across your Marketo emails, your LinkedIn direct in-mails, your sales-off cadences, it's, it's a struggle. It's a lot. It's a lot to handle, and it's really um, important to stay tuned in on where, where the account is in the buying process in order to do that. So, so, so number six is building and measuring content hubs has also been a struggle in our account-based marketing a strategy. We developed it uh, a content hub on Marketo. It's really not set up for that, but we decided to create it in Marketo so we can track. And we created about six plus programs for one hub with UTMs uh, for every traffic driver. So cumbersome, so much time, many many hours to create just one hub. It really, just it wasn't worth all of that time because we weren't seeing all the the engagement on the hub. And then we wanted to track our success and measure engagement and all of this all of these um, various uh, metrics by contact level. So we want to be able to see if each account, each person on that account, what they're doing, what they're engaging with, how many downloads, and then also provide the visibility to the sales team. So you can imagine that's just a lot, a lot to do. uh, And and we're not seeing the, the ROI on that at all. So we did, we have learned a few things and we're still learning. I would want to leave you with a few takeaways on that. Uh, One is you absolutely need to have a strong database as a foundation first. And what I mean by that is not just the right personas, but also those people who are already warmed up and have intent to buy and also have just have been nurtured and been cooking in your database. So you can actually then, if you do bring them to a hub that you can track track what they're doing. But again, that's not always the most important thing. Um, you, you want to be able to, know, to make sure that you know continuing to nurture them down down the buying uh, funnel. Next is digital ads for us. We're really more effective in a one to one account play, much less effective in one to many. Because in one to one, you can personalize a digital ad. You can add their company name. You can hit on very specific pain points and value prop uh, messaging. It, so it's much more uh, personal personalized to the account. And um, you know that's where you're going to see that conversion rate climb. Uh, next is getting aligned with sales. You know, sales um, they call ABMs marketing because it's sales and marketing got to work together. Agree on account selection criteria and SLAs right away. I think we struggled with that a bit. We finally have a nice sort of cheat sheet here that I encourage everyone to create with their field teams um, about what types of ABM. Pro- uh, accounts fall within each of these ABM types of plays one to one one to few one to many what the investment level is how many plays you can support per month all of that should be documented with your with your sales team and then a few more takeaways I absolutely think that you know what we're doing with building those complex marketing hubs again it, it really is a lot of wasted time we, there are better there are better technology platforms out there um, so you need to find one that's Uh, allows you to set a content hub in an easy, repeatable, and scalable way and also where the field team can get involved as well. So it's not just on marketing and they can um, take clonable templates and quickly create a hub, uh, customize it, uh, leverage some of marketing's graphics and some of our help to do that and then just share it, get it out there, share it with their their accounts and then making sure you have the right use case for something like this. Um, You know, not send it... not send it to all of your clients, it's impossible to set up a hub for every one of your clients, but why not just focus on those ones that maybe um, you know, already have a current sales cycle in process. So the objective is to accelerate the sales process. And then timing, timing is key, right? So it's all about finding the right message at the right buying stage. And then in our case, we said, well, let's try to roll something out like this um, for clients that maybe after they've had a discovery session or a demo, kind of share all that content for them in an ungated way immediately after the demo so that you're driving them there, keeping them on the hub and all in one place that they can consume that data and help them, again, con- uh, become more informed buyers. So, and then last but not least, intent that I've, as I mentioned before, is something that we're, str- we're struggling with a bit. We're going to um, continue to add that back in to um, you know how we're selecting our accounts and how we are uh, reaching our accounts.
3: I love that we're not afraid to talk about our struggles. And um, I know we used webinars previously in the presentation to talk about the success that we had. And that was all around kind of cutting our our two month cycle to a two week production cycle. Uh, But now I'm gonna talk to you about one of our struggles. And this is all about webinar fatigue and declining attendee rates. Uh, So here on your screen, you can see the E2Open Unfortunately, we've consistently seen a decline in attendee rates going from 57% in March down to 33% in July. Um, So in order to combat our declining attendee rates, we decided to focus on what we could control instead of what we couldn't. And what you can't is kind of how people behave the day of the live webinar. Um, So what we did is that we focused on our follow-up emails. Um, We wanted to make sure that if we couldn't get their attention during the live webinar that we were still going to be driving engagement to either the on-demand recording or to other pieces of content that would be relevant for them to consume. So we we paid special attention to make sure that our follow-up email came from a presenter, um, someone who presented during the webinar as well. Um, So it would feel more like a person-to-person email than kind of like a marketing uh, blast follow-up email. Um, We also stopped sending emails that didn't work for us. I mean, honestly, how many, sorry we missed you, emails do you have sitting in your inbox? I know I have hundreds. I am so tired of them. So as a follow-up to our last email, we decided to tease the registrants with a LinkedIn live session instead of the traditional on-demand version. So all they had to do was follow us on LinkedIn and they would receive a push alert when our LinkedIn live session had started. The results were so interesting. We had almost 4,000 impressions, 1,400 views and over 32 comments. And guys, this was a 10 minute session. This was a great example of keeping the content alive and engaging well after the webinar was over.
0: That's awesome, Kathy. I love that. Um, our next struggle is, which I'm sure a lot of you have ex- are testing out, you know, how do you do direct mailers now and, and everyone's home working from home and, you know, how do you make this, an in- how do you make an impact on your clients? So, you know, we need to start innovating. We need to start thinking thinking of new ways to get in front of our clients, like content hubs and, and more digital events and, and all of that. But then direct mail is also a way we can make an impact. So we talk to the field. How do we make that impact? How do we provide value? How do we reach people who aren't in the office? And what is that success? How do we track the success? So it's a lot of questions to ask. And we struggled. And we're we're testing this out. And we're still struggling. So, a couple of things we learned, and we're still learning, but I'm excited because there's some really, I'm, I think that we'll we'll see some some uh, success here at the end of this. Um, is working with uh, Sendoso, a direct mail vendor, and you know they gave us some great tips. You know, email the buyer to obtain current physical address, but do it in a way because everyone's working from home. Just let them know that it's only for this one-time purpose. It's not something they'll save in their database. For the future, don't worry. We'll have um, only keep it for now, and we'll get it, you know get it to you, and we won't keep it. The other thing is don't have it sent from just from the vendor. Have it personalized so it's coming from someone they already know, so the account director or the customer customer success manager. Um, and then you know it'll make it very simple and easy for them to just confirm their address or update their address, and then uh, take a risk. Right? So we are trying out a video mailer for our one to one account based marketing play with one of our key accounts. We're making it really personalized where the ASD is speaking directly to them. They already know you know about um, their their struggles and how we can solve for what they're looking to do this year. And um, you know, just talk to them about it and have a really clear call to action for scheduling a meeting. Um, and the other thing too is just you know you're not sending it to everyone. You're you're keying in on those five to ten, maybe VP level and up, those people who are the, the decision makers, and have that followed up with some BDR follow up immediately after they receive it, um, and then we're hoping to see you know some accelerated sales cycles, some higher uh, win rates, and um, that's what we're hoping to see. And we'll stay tuned. <laughs> Hopefully, we'll we'll be able to see that here in in a few weeks to come. But again, I guess the messages are thinking out of the box and then our last lesson of the of the session today is as everyone knows and it's just a good reminder when you get thrown into doing multifaceted campaigns is it's so important To be successful is to partner and align with your cross-functional teams to drive success. So the field marketing team uh, started off the year with a get-to-know-each-open campaign, which was about informing all of our various customer segments about what we do since we've grown so much by acquisition. There was a lot of clients who had no idea all the various solutions that we have. So it was a big brand awareness campaign, and it was also about expanding our footprint with our existing clients. So as you can see here, there was, it was multifaceted, multi-channel, multi-touch, and it also involved so many different teams coming together, It was a real team effort. And so what we did to make this successful, and I, I really highly recommend, is always create a project timeline. You've got to hold everyone accountable, all the various tasks that are related. There's so many different um, people involved and everyone has to have an ownership for uh, the various tasks and then track your SLAs to deadline, make sure you're, you're holding everyone accountable keeping all of your teams aligned. We will, we so many various teams, we even have um, product marketing involved. And we, we consulted with, the, uh, met with the field team as well, and um, the external copywriters and designers, just everyone needed to be on the same page. And then number two is to define your KPIs before the campaign even launches. So as I said, this was a brand awareness campaign for us, but you know, think about what's important, what, make sure everyone understands that especially when it comes to account-based marketing, usually it's all about quality over quantity. We wanna hit the people who um, maybe just a 100 leads, 100 ICPs, not all the MQLs, we don't care about all that. We wanna know the, the context, uh, context of those key accounts, those are the people who are, have an intent to buy, that's who we care about. So for our campaign, again, it was brand awareness, with existing clients to explain our footprint. And we measured that through web engagement, impressions, as well as using um, buying stage transitions from clients. So we have Engageo today and we looked at some of where they fit um, or where they fall within the buying stage. And during the time period of the campaign, we did find that none of our clients had zero engagement. So that was great. And then we also found that around 61% of those clients were at either aware stage or higher with 45% at marketing qualified accounts, or even in pipeline. And then lastly, just make sure you are, you are always communicating the campaign success uh, back to their field, tracking it making it visible for everyone. We did this with Salesforce campaigns, uh, Salesforce reports and dashboards, and of course Marketo Engage and Engagio reports that could be emailed to everyone's inbox.
3: Awesome, thank you so much Anika. Um, so before we go, just a quick recap. Um, the E2 Open marketing team, we learned a lot during our ABM journey in 2020. Um, we've learned lessons, we've had successes, we've had some failures, um, but our successes and failures were all along emails and webinars, ABM journeys, direct mail Um, and doing things across teams. And I'm sure that many of this is familiar to all of you. Um, So we hope you've learned some lessons um, from us along the way and that you can take them back and share them with your team after the conference is over. And last, we really just want to say thank you so much for joining us for today's session.
2: What did we tell you guys? Such a detailed presentation. So many great ideas. So many fantastic lessons learned. Again, Anika, Kathy, if you're listening to this, thanks for um, hooking some sisters up with some great content. We really appreciate it. Um, And thanks to all of you for listening to today's episode. If you found it valuable, please share with your friends, your colleagues, your followers um so we can get the word out about the B2B MX podcast and if you haven't already subscribe we're available in all key podcast players and the best part is you get alerts when new episodes are available
1: yeah and If you want to learn more and check out all of the other awesome content that we had during the B2B SMX virtual experience, it is actually still available on demand, guys. So check out the website. There's a place to register and get access for the on-demand version. It really is something that, I mean, I highly recommend it. The content was awesome. So please check it out if you want to learn more. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next week.